I said, well, hell, I got it going on then. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Reload Podcast. My name is Kyle Boone, and with me today is Luke Garza, uh, our new beat writer who we imported from the Ocali. Luke, um, I actually talked with you quite a bit during the football season. We were uh, we were chair buddies uh, covering OSU football, <laughs> shared a lot of uh, drinks of coffee side by side one another in the uh, in the media booth. So, Luke, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. I'm just uh, sitting on the second floor of the student union. I can kind of smell the Chick-fil-A wafting up the stairs right here, so <laughs> it's kind of enticing. But, you know, I'm just uh, just chilling. It's just another day. Yeah, yeah. So you're um, – tell us a little bit about your background because you're actually not from Oklahoma at all, um, but you came to Oklahoma State. Correct. You are studying uh, sports media and mm-hmm. right now we have we've been lucky to kind of nab you from the Ocali and you're doing a lot of work that uh Hayden Barber excellently did and now he's he's moved on so what what tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from and you know just a little bit about yourself um well I grew up in a city or town it used to be a town now it's a city because a lot of people have moved there but it's called a Gig Harbor, Washington. It's about 45 minutes south of uh, Seattle um, if you're driving. Um, it's probably much, much longer of a walk. But, um, yeah, I uh, came down here because I was interested in the sports media program, and this was actually the only school I applied to. Um, my first three years of high school, I had, like, a really low GPA, and no one in my family had gone to college. So my senior year of high school, I was like, okay, I really want to be the first one of my family to go to college, so... My senior year of high school, I just did community college instead of high school, and then I did one more year of community college after that, and now I'm down here and I'm graduating in May, so that's a quick little uh, summary for you. That's awesome. Yeah, so from Washington, that's that's quite the jump. So you didn't grow up an OSU fan uh, at all, I would assume. What, what was your, like, did you have a team sport growing up? Did you, like, you know, go Huskies, or is it, like, the Seattle Seahawks, or... Or you just kind of like, you know, you just like sports in general? Well, it's, it's kind of ironic because I grew up a big, you know, Seattle Supersonics fan. And I oh. go down to school where they are now. You know, I obviously, you know, I have my uh, my reservations for the Thunder. You know, it's, it's kind of sucks seeing your, your team struggle so much in Seattle. And then they go down to Oklahoma City, have one poor year, and then they flourish. And, you know, we, I got to see Kevin Durant. He was Rookie of the Year in, uh, in Seattle. So, like. It's like sweet. The future's so bright, and then they come down here, and we just saw how how bright the future was. You know, go to the finals against the Heat. And I was sitting there watching those games, like, dang, like that game should be happening in Seattle right now. But I grew up a big uh, Washington Huskies fan. I still, you know, follow them and stuff. But I, you know, didn't before I came down here. I didn't really know much at all about Oklahoma State athletics. So I think that's honestly helped my objectivity in uh, covering stuff and reporting on stuff because. The reason we like sports is because we, we grew up fans of sports, you know. So once you get into this field, it's kind of tough to, you know, leave your bias at the door. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, I think that's, that's kind of helped me just kind of ease into this field a little bit, coming down here with no previous, you know, love or hatred for OSU or OU or, you know, any of the teams down here, really. 
Yeah, definitely. You have a really unique uh, point of view. A lot of people at, I'm sure at the Ocali grew up Oklahoma State fans or at least general knowledge of Oklahoma State. You you coming from Washington is, is like a you know, just a totally different perspective. Um, were you excited? Were you like secretly low key happy that Durant left for the Warriors? Like, haha, that's that's what it felt like whenever my team was ripped from my state. Oh yeah, I know. I remember exactly <laughs> where I was. I was in the bottom of this, the bottom bunk of a bunk bed, in my dad's house, and I. It was Fourth of July, as obviously everyone knows. Yep. And I picked up my phone as, as we all do in the morning. First thing we wake up is check our phones to see, you know, hope we have some text messages. Most of the time, don't have any, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> so, I didn't. I didn't have any text messages, but I did have an ESPN update saying Kevin Durant left the Thunder for the Warriors, and I was absolutely shocked. Like I would, you know, talk trash to Thunder fans down here, like. Nah, he doesn't want to be here in OKC. He's leaving. He's going somewhere else. But I didn't believe it. I was just saying that, you know, getting getting people's heads, you know, because when when you get a team taken away from you, you gotta like joke around. Okay, you're just gonna get a player taken away. I got a whole team taken away. So when I saw that update, I was absolutely shocked. I just could not believe that he actually, you know, left to go to Golden State. So that was shocking, and I was pretty happy, you know, to it kind of removed Kevin Durant from the whole relocation scenario. So. Now you know, I got to see him win a ring, which is which is pretty cool. So I'm yeah. still a big KD fan, especially yeah. now that he's not wearing you know blue and orange. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You got to love KD. All right, so today uh, the Reload Podcast we typically cover recruiting. Um, there's honestly not a whole lot of recruiting coverage out there, so today we've brought you on to talk a little bit of uh, OSU wrestling. Um, so you covered some wrestling. some wrestling. That's right. So you covered wrestling for the Ocali. You're covering wrestling for us at Pistols Firing, along with a bunch of other softball and uh, a bunch of other sports topics. So uh, I'm just gonna grill you with some OSU wrestling. I don't. I don't think that it's fair to say that OSU has been struggling. Uh, but Dean Heil, back to back NCAA winner, has been struggling. What What's the deal with him? I think there's a lot of possible like things we can you know speculate on because you know in this day and age a lot of the information regarding you know teams and players is often concealed by you know the respective athletic departments and stuff. But I, I could be a bunch of different things. Obviously, when you're a two-time defending champ like Dean Heil is, there's going to be a target on your back. You know, so that target gets put on your back after after you win. I assume that target's even bigger when you win twice. So everyone's just giving Dean Heil their absolute best every time they face him. Uh, he's lost. Uh, three of his past four matches, I believe, and three of those matches were against top five guys. So it's not like he's losing to any scrubs, but he did lose his last match on this past summit to Iowa State to a guy who was unranked, and that was when the the small question mark turned into a huge question mark because you can kind of understand you can understand a guy like Dean, you know, dropping a, a match or two to some really really tough wrestlers, and he has wrestled some really tough guys like Bryce Meredith and a few others, but. After he lost that last one on Sunday, the I guess the speculation of what's wrong with him has kind of increased to an all-time high. So maybe he's injured. Uh, I don't know. Seth Duckworth, like you mentioned, he um, he does a great job for Pistols Firing, um, covering wrestling, and he he wrote something today about there's this new rule that might be affecting him. Where it's just he explains it a lot better in the article, but it's basically a lot of Dean Howell's offense has been kind of taken away because of this rule. And maybe that's why he's suffering because of it. And also, the big thing with wrestling is how good you take care of your body. You know, I'm not personal friends with Dean Heil. I don't, you know, see him or talk to him on a day-to-day basis. But 
you know, maybe he's just not taking as good care of his body diet-wise and sleep-wise as he needs to be. I don't know. That's just all speculation, like I'm saying. So it could be a, you know, a lot of factors, but it definitely is puzzling to see a guy like him struggle as of late like he has. It's so weird to check the rankings and see him ranked fifth and now seventh at 141 pounds because I've only known him as the you know, top-ranked 141-pounder in the country. Yeah, it is really weird. And you can check that article out at Pistols Firing uh pistolsfiringblog.com it's called the danger rule in wrestling and uh you're right duckworth does a good job covering wrestling for us as well talks about how it uh may be affecting dean heil's offense which is which is really fascinating because you're right he has dominated the sport um you know basically since he's been on campus so it's really weird to see him struggle Hey, Cowboy Nation, Evan Epstein here. Wanted to take a moment and tell you about my experience with the other Evan over at Angel Johnston and Blasting Game. I've personally worked with Evan over the last couple years, and he's made filing my taxes a breeze. He's easy to work with, provides you with an extremely professional service, and most importantly, he bleeds orange. I highly recommend contacting his office and, and just seeing what they can do for you. And as always, go Pokes. Uh, what is OSU's wrestling hopes this season? I mean, I think coming into the season, were they ranked number two in the preseason, or they were they were definitely top five, right? I believe it was. I, I believe they're ranked third. Third, okay. Which is where they finished last year. Third, third or fifth, something around that three to five area. Okay. Um, I I kind of thought that they maybe had an uh, you know maybe an outside shot at maybe winning it all. I mean, I know Penn State is you know just on the elite tier of wrestling right now, but um, with Heil struggling, uh, with Llewellyn struggling, what is the ceiling for this team this year? Well, right now, I just think Penn State's riding such a huge wave, and OSU is honestly, the rest of the country, to be honest, is just kind of waiting for that wave to die down a little bit. I was in St. Louis last year for the uh, national championships, and they sent five guys to the championship round, and all five of them won. And they were all in successive order from 149 pounds to 184. So we sat there and watched another guy at 149, 157, 165, 174, and 184, just five in a row, boom, boom, boom. And that was just kind of a statement right there. We, we just watched that, and I was like, dang, like they're going to be pretty dang good for a while. They returned all five of those guys this year. So that led to um, John Smith redshirting Dayton Fix. At one tw- he's a 125-pounder might go up to 133 next year based off some things I've read and heard. But he's a guy that people believe could, you know, eventually be, you know, a three or four time national champion. He's competed in Olympic events and, you know, just all over the world and stuff like that. So he's a highly touted guy. Um, they also redshirted Joe Smith this year. So I think right now, because of the, the talented guys they're redshirting and they're looking kind of ahead to the next couple of years, I think a realistic expectation for them to finish in nationals top five I think they'd be happy with a top three finish and obviously John Smith isn't isn't going to be truly satisfied until you know they win another national title until they win number 35 but I definitely think those those, those moves to redshirt fix and Joe Smith were, were 100% calculated into kind of uh just looking for the future a little bit it, it's almost like he uh, Joe Smith kind of or John Smith excuse me knew that um he was maybe facing, I don't want to call it a rebuild, because whenever you're probably projected to finish top five, it's hard to say that you're going to be a rebuilding year. Um, but you're, you're right. Fix is a superstar. Joe Smith is maybe a superstar. And you're sitting out both yeah, he those won, kids. he won two Big 12 championships. Right. 
Right. So what what I mean, what is what is OSU's biggest weaknesses this year? I mean, and could those be fixed had Fix and uh Smith not been redshirted this year? Um I wouldn't say so. Nick Piccinini's been pretty good at 125, yeah. and Cade Brock's been pretty solid at 133. I think right now their biggest uh, weakness is probably like 184, and some of the middleweights, particularly uh, 149 and 57, haven't been too impress- impressive. But you speak of uh, Penn State, they got a this commit. Travis Whitlake flipped his commitment from Penn State to Oklahoma State, and he's a 184-pounder, so he'll be joining uh, the Cowboys here in the next year or so. So that's going to be someone who's really going to, um, uh, I guess, elevate them at that weight class for sure. And then, like I said, 157 hasn't been very impressive, and that's what Joe has wrestled at the past couple of years. So uh, once he comes back into the lineup, that's going to fill up that hole nicely too. So like I said, it, it's definitely all calculated. He's definitely looking at this next year or two, and the, the Cowboys are going to have a much more complete lineup, I believe, in the next year or two. Yeah, that it, it definitely sounds like it. That's going to be really interesting to see. And and I saw the news on Whitlake, who flipped from Penn State to Oklahoma State. Um, widely considered, I believe it's either number one or number two wrestling recruit, regardless of, of weight class, um, in 2018. So huge boost. John Smith's recruiting at an elite level, which is obviously very exciting for the future. It seems like they're re- really rebuilding and building uh, towards something special, not just this year, but you know, into the future, which is re- which is really special. Um, so you've been able, obviously, you're in Stillwater. You're able to cover John Smith uh, on the scene, which is which is really cool, and I definitely envy you because he seems like uh, a more laid back Gundy, which is kind of hard to even imagine. But uh, what is, what is he like as a coach? I mean, what is he like as an interview? Because I watched some of these videos, and he's He's a pretty straight shooter, to be honest. I've seen him seen him call out some of his players in the media as kind of like a motivation tactic. What what's what would you describe him like as a coach? It was kind of funny. The first time I interviewed him, it was kind of I was just kind of thrown to the fire to add to the wrestling beat. So I went there with uh, Dakota Gregory, who's the uh, current editor in chief of the Ocali. and so we we went there and interviewed John Smith. And it was my first ever like interview since I like since I came to school. I hadn't like interviewed anyone up until that so I at that point I didn't really quite know how big of a deal John Smith was I just thought he was you know I did a little bit of research and stuff but wrestling is a whole foreign world to me so when I talked to him for the first time I was like okay yeah like this is cool but I was still nervous because it was my first time interviewing someone so after the first interview was over I was like okay I can do that next time and then I for, before the second interview I realized like how big of a deal he was so I kind of fell back into that shell I was like oh shoot like he actually is like a huge deal. So I like, I, I didn't really get that comfortable until a few times interviewing him, but he's, he's never really satisfied. I mean, they can win 31 to three, like they did, you know, this past weekend. And he can just, he'll look at the score sheet before he talks to us. Like just the, the uh, recap of the matches, if you will. And he kind of shakes his head a little bit, points out, you know, what he doesn't like a few weeks ago, Dean Heil, he, he won his match and scored like 11, 11 points or something like that, which is pretty high for him. And I asked him whether he was happy that he got, you know, four or three takedowns because normally Dean Hiles matches are pretty low scoring. And he said, was I happy? No, I wanted him to get eight. I wanted him to get eight takedowns. That's your two-time defending national champion. So I've kind of always compared him to guys like, you know, Bill Belichick, Greg Popovich, Saban, just guys who are never really satisfied. And John Smith has been at the top of so many levels, whether it be the Olympics or coaching or as a wrestler himself. So when you when you're used to that kind of greatness, 
there's always room for improvement. I know that sounds cliche, but for those guys who have been at the top and are at the top, it's just like a constant strive to, you know, kind of push and be better, you know? So I think that's definitely where that kind of criticism comes from. He's not afraid to, like you said, you know, call out some guys in front of the media knowing that that stuff's going to get out and that stuff is going to, you know, circulate and people are going to start talking about it. He's, he's like, I, like I said a few times in this uh, podcast already, he's very calculated. So there, there's a lot that goes into, you know, the stuff he says to us for sure. Yeah, yeah. And like in one of the videos, he, he basically said that, um, I believe it was Boo Llewellyn, um, just said, I don't think he said by name, but I think he said like his weight class and said, I'm, I'm just not even sure he should be wrestling for us. Basically just questioning, you know, his, his player out in the, in the open media. And I thought it was really interesting. Just, I'm always fascinated by coaches and, you know, how they motivate their players. I watch basketball, obviously all the time. I watch Greg Popovich and you watch Bill Belichick and some of the great coaches and um, I would say John Smith is a great coach, and so for him to just openly question his players, you know, and I would say his work ethic in the media, I thought was really interesting. So, um, Luke, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to go into some Super Bowl chatter, um, talking some Patriots-Eagles. You may have heard the news that there is a new tax bill, but do you know how it will affect you? At Angel, Johnston, and Blessing Game, we do. Our firm of 10 CPAs and 22 total employees is one of the largest in central Oklahoma, and we have been hard at work calculating how these changes will affect hardworking cowboys like you. Feel free to give Cameron or Evan a call at 405-224-6363 or visit our website at ajb-cpas.com. Go Pokes. All right, Luke. So let's get into some Super Bowl chatter here. Um, Patriots Eagles happening on Saturday or on Sunday. Excuse me. Where are you where are you gonna watch the game on Sunday? Um, I think I'm gonna go over to my buddy uh, Jake Jacob and Jeremy's house. They've they have a apartment. I'm not even sure what the apartment complex is called. There's so many of them, but it's off campus, and we've gone over there quite a bit this semester. They're always good, you know posting little get-togethers and stuff like that. So be, be me and a bunch of the boys uh, watching that game, which should be fun. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Um, I I actually kind of wish, like, I've I followed from afar and I'm in the media, so I'm I'm really curious to see, like, how uh, Super Bowl Media Week is covered. And I obviously wish I was in Minneapolis. I think it would be really cool. But um, what is your favorite storyline from this week? I mean, you got 40-year-old Tom Brady, who's going to win the MVP. Uh, you've got... Philadelphia and backup quarterback Nick Foles, um, Bill Belichick. I mean, there's so many different storylines to watch. What is your What is your favorite being from Seattle, man, Washington? I, I I just love I love Tom Brady, man. Tom Brady's the reason I you know kind of got into football. I didn't I kind of joined the whole sports bandwagon late. I didn't even really follow sports that closely, other than the Sonics. I mean, I should say I didn't follow football closely until. You know, I was in middle school or so, so that was around the time when Tom Brady and Randy Moss connection was at all time high. You know, when when Brady threw fifty touchdowns and Moss caught twenty three of them. So that's kind of what got me super into the NFL in particular. So just to see what Brady's done year in and year out, especially after last year's comeback against the Falcons, the fact that he's forty and back in the Super Bowl, even after 
you know, all the drama amid like the whole power struggle article ESPN released. They're still yeah. here at the at the very end. You, looking at Tom Brady's numbers, you wouldn't even know that Julian Edelman, his, his number one receiver, has been out all year. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy to me. So just to see Brady maybe etch his name, like maybe tying Jordan as like the goat of goats. I, I think if he wins the sixth Super Bowl, that might be the case. Like you're going to start hearing and seeing people discuss like who's the better athlete for their sport was it Jordan or Brady because just the amount of success him and Belichick have had at this you know at this age and this point in their careers is just insane it is also cool to see a Super Bowl rematch considering the Eagles and Pats have faced off in the Super Bowl before yeah and you know I think it's going to be another one of those offensive defensive battles with uh, the Eagles having a really good front four and Tom Brady's only two Super Bowl losses have been against the Giants, but both those Giants teams have a really, really good defensive line. You think of Justin Tuck and Strahan and all those guys, and the Eagles have a really, really beastly uh, front four. So that could be a storyline I'm looking out for because if you get in Brady's face, you get in any quarterback's face, you know, it's going to make it a bit tougher. So we'll see. Yeah. So the Patriots got down 28-3 last year to the Falcons. They made a comeback. It was the greatest comeback ever in Super Bowl history. Um, Brady the goat, et cetera, et cetera. What what lead do you feel like would be safe for the Eagles this year? I mean, if they go up thirty four to nothing in the second quarter, is it over or like, is there just nothing? No, no lead that's safe with Tom Brady on the other side. I I mean after after watching last year, I don't really think you can. I don't know how you could argue that there is a a, a quote unquote safe enough lead. You know, I mean. They, they they say uh, any given Sunday is the cliche, and you know last year's Super Bowl kind of showed that. Um, I mean, obviously, if they go up by forty or by thirty, like in the second half, I think it's curtains. But given the genius of Bill Belichick and the clutch, you know, calmness and composure of Brady, there's with, with the Patriots, it's always been. It doesn't matter what the score is in the first, second, or third quarter. It just matters what the result is when the clock hits zero. And more often than not, the Patriots have more points at that point in the game. So, right, yeah, I mean, in the second half, if it's like a 30-point lead, it's probably over. But even if the Eagles jump up 14-0, Eagles fans and Patriots fans will all kind of be sitting back and knowing, all right, like this thing still has a lot of time left. Like, we're looking at Tom Brady and the Patriots here. Like, this thing is far from over. So, I would say, you know, 99% of the score scenarios would not be a safe lead for the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I had a lot of people at my house last year, and they left at halftime, and it was obviously lopsided in favor of the Falcons. I'm like, you don't want to leave. You never know. I was almost joking, you know, like, then people are calling me when they get home. They're like, oh, my God, have you seen the scores? Like, I told you. I tried to warn you. Brady the Goat. So I don't. I kind of hope we get something similar like that this year. Just something wild where it's like, okay, yeah, Brady is definitely the best ever, and I think a point could be made that he's the best um, football player ever, anyway. Um, but and I feel like I'm pandering to Justin Southwell and and Porter. They're both diehard Tom Brady fans, but um, yeah, there's definitely a conversation to be had. I want to go through uh, some Super Bowl prop bets with you because I just love these every year. At one point, I was I would yeah, I would fun. yeah. At one point every year, I would try to do prop bets on like Bavada or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I I can't stomach spending five bucks on bets anymore. It drives me nuts. So we'll do it for fun here on the podcast. Um, first one: What color will Bill Belichick's shirt be at kickoff? You got blue, 
at four to five, gray at three to two, red at fifteen to two, or white at fifteen to two. Uh, this is like the shirt. Like, is that his sweatshirt or the yes. hoodie he wears, or is yes. that like the shirt he wears underneath the hoodie? Because we might not even see that. No, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna translate it and say the the hoodie because it, that's basically all he wears. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with blue. I know it's like the most favorite option, but I don't think I've ever seen him wear red, and white is just too bright of a color for Belichick. I could I wouldn't be surprised to see gray. Yeah, you know that would match the white jerseys that they're wearing, but I'll, I'll go with blue. Okay, all right, I'm going with gray. I can see him rocking the gray and letting his pit sweat um, flow on the sidelines on in the Super Bowl. That's that's my bet. Uh, what color will Pink's hair be for the national anthem? Uh, wow. Okay, so you've actually got combinations here. White and blonde is five to four odds. Pink and red are seven to four odds. Blue and purple, five to one. Brown and black, the most plain, five to one. And green, all around green, is five to one. This is ridiculous. I, I, I hope the slash in those means pink or red because, or, or blue or purple or brown or black. That would be weird to see like striped brown and black hair. That should be, you should get a ton of money if you bet even one dollar. If you bet one dollar that she has striped brown and black hair, you should get like fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess she sticks with uh, you know, the title of her name will match the color of her hair. So I'm gonna go with pink, pink. flash red, okay. or pink and red, whatever she's feeling like. I guess I'm gonna go green. Five to one odds. I like the odds. She's an Eagles fan. Uh, I can see her rocking the green, rocking with the home team, going with the Eagles at uh, at five. Big baller. Big baller. Big baller. Five one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. First touchdown score. This is this is probably my favorite one. Uh, you've got a whole list here. I'll, I'll run through them real fast. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, fifteen to two, best odds. Brandon Cooks, nine to one. Danny Amendola, ten to one. Zach Ertz, ten to one. Dion Lewis, ten to one. Jay Ajayi, twelve to one. Alshon Jeffrey, twelve to one. Legarrette Blunt, fourteen to one. Rex Burkhead, who actually I didn't even know he was back healthy, fourteen to one. Uh, Chris Hogan, fourteen to one. James White fourteen to one, Nelson Aguilar sixteen to one, Corey Clement eighteen to one, Tory Smith eighteen to one, Tom Brady twenty five to one, or Nick Foles thirty three to one, or you could go any other touchdown scorer uh, four to one, or you could bet seventy five to one odds that there is no touchdown scorer in the game. Seems kind of risky. Hmm, I think I'm gonna. I'm not going to go that risky, but I think I'm going to go with Torrey Smith, 18-1. I feel like, you know, cashing in pretty big, hypothetically speaking, of course. But Torrey Smith, uh, he played he's played in the Super Bowl before, I think, with the yep. Ravens when it was Ravens 49ers. So, you know, he's back sniffing that big stage again. And, you know, I, I could see the, the pass going down early as they have in a couple of these Super Bowls. So I'll go with Torrey Smith there. Like, if you bet if you bet five bucks on Torrey Smith, then you'd be making 90 if he scores the first touchdown, I think, if my math is correct. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I'm going to go with. I think I'll go with Dion Lewis. Ten to one odds. It's not the best odds, but pretty good shot that uh, that he could score. They get around the goal line. I don't see them throwing to Gronk unless it's like third down and early in the game. I can see the pa- the Patriots just 
shoving it down the Eagles' throat and just running it on the goal line. Deion, Deion Lewis getting the score. Um, so I like my odds there. Okay, this is my favorite one. Uh, color of liquid dumped on winning coach. Uh, I can't believe green's not an option, but anyways. Blue, plus 250. Red, plus 330. Yellow, plus 350. Orange, plus 350. Clear or water, uh, plus 500. And purple, plus 1,000. I guess it depends on who wins, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, unless both teams drink the same flavor Gatorade. There has to be some sort of insider that really knows, like, what flavor Gatorade the players like the most. Yeah, this so, this one could get hairy. I'm going to go with orange just because orange seems like a flavor everyone likes. Like, yellow's okay. Like, I don't even really like yellow Gatorade that much. Red I used to like when I was younger a lot, not much. Blue is, like, probably the best, but I think orange is the most, you know, neutral color considering the Patriots have blue. You know, so maybe they want to be, you know, a little bit neutral. So I think I'll go with orange there for the the winning uh, liquid dumped on the winning coach. Going orange for the uh, Homer podcast, Oklahoma State Colors. I like it. By far by far the worst uh, flavored Gatorade is orange, in my opinion. Yellow is a close second, but those, oh. are, those are the worst flavored Gatorades. Oh, I love orange Gatorade. Not, not all the time, but, you know, it's nice and refreshing. It's like a mixture of, I don't know, orange juice and something. But I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think Riptide Rush has got to be up there at number one for me. Either that or Glacier Freeze. Probably one and two. Glacier Freeze is bomb. Yeah, so good. I had some last night. I, What's I played, the purple one? Uh, Riptide or oh, Riptide Rush? I believe that's what it is. Last purple. Yep. Okay. Yeah, purple is probably the best. Yeah. 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 Goat. It's the goat. Okay, uh, Luke, you got to get out of here. You got some studying to do. I think you got some writing to do. So we will get you out of here. Um, thanks for joining the podcast, first appearance. And um, so yeah, where where can uh, where can the listeners follow you and and your work? Where's your Twitter account and all that stuff? Well, I uh, mostly yeah, I mostly post my stuff on Twitter. You can follow me at Luke A Garza. Just Luke. How it, you guess it would be spelled A the letter and then G A R Z A. Okay. So I like to post a lot of my stuff for pistols firing on there, and I've I've enjoyed it so far. And thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate you, Luke. We'll see you later. All right. See you. All right. See you, man.